Hello and welcome to the Elancar Morris Flag Squad pod. I'm Nick Hayhoe and before we get into the Flag Squad podding, I just wanted to quickly tell you about the Elancar Morris store at elancarmorris.com forward slash merch where you'll be able to pick up a Elancar Morris face mask um, or you can pick up the latest version of the Elancar Morris print fanzine or you can get both at a great discounted rates. That's elancarmorris.com forward slash merch. Make sure you check it out. Make sure you get yourself a copy of the print van scene. Uh, you'll be helping us out. You'll also be helping us out for getting more flags around Carrow Road in the near future. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Flag Squad pod brought to you by Along Come Morridge. We are sitting here having experienced several weeks now of lockdown football. We have thoughts and feelings on lockdown football, but we have thoughts and feelings on everything else. As usual, I am joined by Maddie. Hello, everyone. And Terry. Hello there. So what have we been? It's been a while since we were all together to record a podcast. Heat waves and hay fever and bad internet has got in the way on several occasions of trying to record. So what have you guys been up to while we were taking a little bit more of an extended break? Very little, to be perfectly honest. Mostly just sitting around moping about football, but I am fresh, obviously, from another Look East appearance. So you're basically in the presence of broadcasting royalty now. I hope you're all happy. Yeah, and obviously I've just had my column printed in the uh, the local paper as well. So, you know, between us, we're a bit of a media cabal. It's a competition. So we've been watching some of lockdown football over the last few weeks. It's not been great, has it? Um, from, from a Norwich perspective, it's been fucking dreadful. Um, we're not going to go into reasons why we're playing badly or what our tactics should be and all that kind of shit, because that's not something really we talk about on this podcast. But I think as a general fan experience, um, at least from my point of view, watching Norwich from home, particularly that cup game against Man United, has been pretty, pretty pretty nasty experience really it's been an almost sign of a dystopian style future that football might have but also football outside of Norwich as well I've been watching one or two games as a neutral simply because I quite often have my tv on in the background when I'm doing other things the the quality of the football in these other matches has been absolutely shocking um in terms of stoppages in play um because we obviously have that drinks break and and there's loads of injuries that are happening the 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 level of um, kind of intensity in the games is completely missing because there's no crowd behind them, and yeah, the whole thing has just been really quite a depressing experience. I think watching watching football from no with no crowds from from my point of view. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I've um, the only games I've watched are the Norwich games, and I haven't even watched all of them. I didn't watch the Arsenal game. Um, I've no interest. I mean, I've never been uh, an armchair. Uh, TV uh, football TV watcher anyway I'd much rather be at a game if I'm not at the game I might listen to on the radio but I don't I'm not one of these people that sit down on a Sunday afternoon every week and watch the big match it's really not really much interest for me because I because I like being at the ground I like being involved I don't really understand the whole being a, a neutral supporter it's not really my bag I I want a team to win and a team to lose that's kind of how I feel about it so um, I very rarely have watched Norwich actually um, on TV. In fact, the last time I watched a Norwich match on TV it was in a pub. Um, it was Middlesbrough away last season, so I was surrounded by Norwich fans. So there was still a bit of an atmosphere, and you could talk to people about the experience. And you know, we all cheered when we when we scored. So it's kind of like the next best thing that I could get at that point. But watching Norwich games is at home when there's no no crowd there is horrible. I mean, like you said, there's no atmosphere. Um, there's no, and I think what I found really difficult, and I think particularly with the cup game and the uh, home match against Brighton, is that you could see what the players really wanted is the fans to be there to lift them. But you just know that if there have been people at the in those for those games in particular, I think if there had been a crowd there, if there had been a full crowd, that wouldn't have been the same result that we'd have got because you just know that they would have uh, risen when the crowd kind of got excited and we would have been chanting the names. And even if we'd gone behind, we would have been singing really loud and that all of that has gone. And it's just like being played in this sort of sterile vacuum. And as soon as somebody goes a goal down, it's really difficult then to try and lift the team to get them to come back into the game, particularly when you're struggling as Norwich are. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't enjoy the experience. I mean, I don't like it 
from a practical point of view anyway, because when you watch a game on TV, you only ever see part of the pitch. And sometimes you see the ball is being knocked out wide and you've no idea if there's a player there or not until like a few seconds later when the camera gets there. And I, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I don't see the whole pitch and I don't get the whole picture of the game. So I don't like, you know, watching football on TV at the best of times. But yeah, behind closed doors, it's horrible. It's, and I, can't, I mean, I can't wait. I don't know about you two, but I really can't wait for the season to end. No, I mean, I've never looked forward more to not watching football. I think we play at like half 12 tomorrow and I'm already thinking, great, so that's going to ruin the entire afternoon then. But it's, I think people will say all teams are struggling in lockdown, you know, because they haven't got their fans with them. But I think a fan base like ours or Villa or Sheffield United is really different to a fan base like, let's let's you know, signal them out here, Manchester United or Liverpool, because you get a lot of neutral fans or a lot of people coming to watch the game who maybe don't go every week. But at Norwich, Sheffield United, Villa, etc., it's the same people week in, week out, who have their rituals and who go and who make noise. And especially for our team, who are so young, and most of them don't have Premier League experience. So to suddenly be behave- playing behind closed doors, it-, it must be unimaginable for them. I can't remember who I was speaking to the other day who said they felt particularly sorry for the fullbacks. Because normally when Max or Jamal are bombing up and down the pitch, we're cheering them on and we're saying, yeah, go on, get forward, do it, brilliant. So that's positive reinforcement. They're bombing up the pitch and nothing is happening because no other players are moving. I think for me, the the I mean, the, the, the actual reasons as to why football came back, I and whether it was the question as over to whether it should have come back or not, I, I, I my opinion on that is split. I have a bit of a, um, a double-think opinion on that because... I kind of can see both sides of that argument with regards to regards to it coming back. And I don't think I necessarily have a problem with the fact that they did bring it back. But I can only and we can only make a comment as supporters as to the the what we're seeing in front of us and what the experience is. And as supporters, the experience is being absolutely horrendous. Now, obviously the fact that we're Norwich fans and Norwich have have just gone on this absolutely horrendous run. I mean, I did the. I mean, it's not just the fact that we're losing every game. We're going to each game knowing that we're going to lose. I can't see us getting any results out of our, our remaining fixtures because the team just look absolutely shot. Um, and the reasons reasons for that, you know, we're not going to get into on this podcast because that's not really what we do here. But the, the Norwich as a side look absolutely completely just gone and they just want the season to end so so to have to go through each of these experiences with no supporters there um and with none of those little things that we love about going to football matches is, is just it's almost like we're running you know when you have a nightmare when you're running down a corridor away from something and you can't get to the end of the corridor that's what this, this season feels like and it's just been one bad thing after another and we've got to this point where Maddie say when we we're recording this on Friday the tenth, um, so that we're playing tomorrow at half past twelve, and I, I, I really I don't know why I've been watching our game. I didn't. I don't know why I watched our last game because I know that we were going to lose. We scored a goal, though. <laughs> we, we did oh, score a goal. goal as well, and it was an Emmy goal. It took me a while just to register that it was his first Premier League goal, bafflingly. Yeah, really was it? I, well, yeah, well, I didn't realize that. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, the experience to the yeah. So the experience for us as Norwich fans has been very, very poor because of the way that the team has been playing. But I think, uh, unlike you, Terry, I do like to watch. I do like to settle down and just watch football sometimes. Um, and the fact that I think the very essence of the game has been removed quite substantially because if you if you're watching a football match as a neutral, the main thing you kind of really want to see is just when you get drama like a last minute equaliser for example and you see the away end erupt right that that kind of triggers that little thing in your brain that just makes you feel good about what you know why you're watching football or you see a tiny child um, at home and cry and and that's even the case with regards to watching premier league football and we'll probably get into the kind of shambolic nature of what the premier league is at the moment later on but when you're watching Premier League football, you know that at the very least, even with all the bollocks and shit that goes on around the Premier League, there's still those brilliant moments in football where a last-minute winner will still see you know, the away end erupt or you'll still see something amazing. But the trouble is, is now that we've got no crowd um, and we've got players that are 
let's face it, probably 75% fit, is that all of those brilliant things have gone. Basically, what we're left with is the, all of the worst parts of football just on show completely naked. It's almost as though I was watching the, the Man United game the other night, and it was almost as though that the players kind of realized, realized that, oh, wait, without all of this other stuff going on around us, it just we, we, we are no better than, you know, a kick around in the park. So it's almost like they're kind of realizing that themselves. So that, that to me is one of the, the serious problems with, with watching this lockdown football period. Aside from Norwich, I think I've only watched one other game. I watched the Everton-Liverpool one. And really, that should have been a sign of things to come. Because that's not just a derby. Yeah. You know, it's the Merseyside derby, which is a pretty big derby anyway. And one of the teams is competing to win their first ever Premier League title. So that would have been absolutely massive had it gone ahead as normal. You know, the Everton fans would have been so loud. And I think I think that I remember them saying that the Liverpool team were having to get ready in like a shelter in the car park or something like that. And then the game itself was, it pretty much lived up to the getting changed in the car park idea. It was horrendous. And I thought, oh, well, it's only the first week. Maybe things will get better. But obviously, for some teams, they have. And as I've said a thousand times, you know, my dad's a Man United fan, so he sits and watches our games with us. And that's that's almost worse, I think, than just sitting and watching it alone by yourself. Because at least you can sit there and know Norwich are terrible, but it's just you. He's sitting there going, oh, you scored a goal. Well done. We scored five in our last match. It's like, yeah, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, I needed that. Cheers. I'm quite a philosophical person, so I, I, I'm, I'm almost always querying within my own head why I'm doing something and what enjoyment I'm getting out of it. And when it comes to football, one of the problems, of course, with, with loving football, and I love all sport, but um, let's focus on football because obviously that's what we're talking about. All football and all sport is kind of pointless, right? When you strip it all back, it's, 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 all it is is just a pastime. Okay, it doesn't it doesn't do anything else other than pass the time for, for us as supporters. So all of that meaning that we have with regards to football is all stuff that is kind of we've picked up on as being supporters all of this time. The trouble is now that's all been peeled back. It's almost like the fourth wall has been broken. It's just it's just there as its, as its raw element, and we're kind of all realizing the pointlessness of what it actually is. And that's quite it's not a very good feeling to have. It's quite unsettling. Blind. Um, Fifteen minutes in, and you've already decided that all sport is pointless. <laughs> I mean, I I was um, I mean, I was always against behind closed doors, but I remember being particularly very angry when they said the FA Cup was going to be behind closed doors, and people kept saying to me, "Yeah, but what if you know Norwich win, and it would be a great chance to win a trophy?" And people kept coming up with all these kind of logical reasons about why it should go ahead. But I was always vehemently against it because as soon as it was behind closed doors, particularly the FA Cup, it's no longer football for me. Because for me, football is about going to the games. It is about that shared experience of being in the crowd. It's being able to actually, as a group of supporters, to be able to influence what happens on the pitch and make that noise and be a part of the game. And that is what football is for me. And as soon as it was decided to be behind closed doors, it just be I became quite cold about it. For a while, I thought I wasn't even going to watch the games, but I just, because I love the players and the team so much, I just kind of feel like I need to watch them. And, you know, it's the only chance I'm going to get to see them. So I'm watching it because for them, really, because I want to support them. Even though they don't know that I'm watching, it's mad, isn't it, that you still have this association. I just feel this loyalty towards this team that I'm not going to forget about them and turn my back on them now. But it's not a football for me. I don't enjoy it. I don't see how anybody can get any enjoyment from this at all. And people were saying, oh, it's going to be like a World Cup with all these games on all the time. And it was like, it's so not like the World Cup. As somebody who watches lots of World Cup games, it couldn't be more removed for it from me. So I kind of knew it was going to be this horrible spectacle. And I, I'm kind of kind of glad that other people are now seeing that as well. And people are coming around to the, you know, that, it, that actually the fans not being there is this major thing that does suck the soul out of the game. And that hopefully, I mean, I know it's a ridiculous dream, but going forward, supporters are going to have a lot more importance with the with the game and with the Football Association and, 
Sky Sports when they're moving a, a you know an away fixture to an early kickoff on a Sunday that people can't physically get to by public transport. It would be nice if after all this, all of that changed. See, I have a horrible feeling it's going to go exactly the other way because Sky and all the television companies have almost realised that they can do football without us. And yeah, it's horrible and it's nasty and supporters hate it and players hate it, but the television companies love it because they've got a captive audience. And you notice that, you know, games aren't kicking off with seven games at three o'clock, one at half past five. Games are being staggered so different broadcasting companies can attract different audiences. So if you're watching, I don't know, Liverpool, Southampton, and then Man United Arsenal is on... 20 minutes after that finishes you're probably going to stay and watch that so that for television companies is it's a no-brainer why would you want fans in the ground when you can have them on their tele on their sofas at home watching the television so i i don't know it just fills me with a sense of impending dread that perhaps i don't need us i do wonder though how how long are people going to watch it when there's no crowd I mean, how, how, what are the numbers of the audience going to be? Because obviously for, for Sky and people to make money, they need a certain amount of people to be watching so they can sell the advertising. That's what it's all about. And you do wonder, particularly if, you know, other sports start coming back, how many people are going to be sitting there watching three, four games, one after the other? Like I said, I haven't been. I mean, I mean, I don't have all the paid channels, but there's been lots of games that have been free to watch and I've not watched them. So I do wonder, you know, are people going to – People are, I think people watched a bit because we had this whole narrative about Liverpool winning the title for the first time in ages. So everybody wanted to follow what happened there. But I think as there's less and less to play for, I'd be amazed if the audience figures don't start to drop. I think one of the things about football, though, is that um, – and as somebody who likes all sport, I can tell – I can see – the differences between sports and how people support them. The thing about football is that unlike literally all other sports, it's so popular that it can basically weather anything. So it, it can go through and, you know, basically a completely corporate buyout essentially, which is the, the impending doom vision that Maddie has there, where there's like a man, there's basically like a corporate buyout, to even above what we have now and it becomes just completely about television no supporters and there will still be people watching football because it's football for example in uh, something like cricket that would never happen because the trouble with cricket is that you kind of have to watch cricket to, to kind of get it right but whereas with football you kind of get it straight away so it's, it's, it's already such a popular sport so that's also my. I, I kind of agree with Manny. My fear is is that the, the TV companies will, will just will, they just know that there's always going to be an audience there regardless. So they don't need to listen to the voices of um, supporters in the in the in the ground, which is a worrying thin end of the wedge, which is kind of happening right now. But there's also the element that obviously the football clubs themselves. Now we know that Norwich said that they lose. By games being behind closed doors, they've lost around a million pounds per game. So football clubs themselves will lose lots of money if they don't actually have crowds in in the ground. And obviously the football clubs still have some, obviously not as much authority as we'd like, but they still have some say over what happens in the game. You know what that leads to, though? That could lead to basically the creation of the Super Premier League that they've always wanted. You know, teams like Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City, who have enough of a global brand that they can afford to run without fans. So teams like us, we wouldn't survive without the revenue that we generate from ticket sales and from match day operations. But if they have their Premier League where, you know, they only have the elite teams in English football, that's basically what they've wanted all along, what everyone has feared. And I could see that happening. I can see those teams going and saying, well, we'll have that. I don't fear that. Good luck to them, I say. Off you go. <laughs> we'll impact us if you've got all that money being pumped into them what happens to us and then teams even further down the football pyramid because then no one's going to want to watch lower league football well, i mean some of you say play. that people will still go to the games don't ever think that people won't attend matches people want to attend matches and if um and especially if this super league suddenly becomes some high subscription channel that you have to pay for Pete, not everybody's going to pay for that. If you look at the percentage of, of the population who pay to watch subscription football, it's not, you know, it's it's a small percentage. It's not like 50% of the population pays yeah, to watch it. It's not it's the, the game. Though, is it? 
it's a that's it's a global thing. It's got a global reach. So if they did that and they made it accessible all around the world, they'd get huge figures and huge funding. But that's what Premier League does now. That's no different to the Premier League now. Okay, so so talking about uh, the Premier League in general, then because um, we, we we've touched on Premier League during COVID, but talking about the Premier League in general, Norwich are getting relegated. Probably going to get relegated tomorrow. Woo! In all likelihood. Um, this is Norwich's first relegation, which is surprising. In fact, I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've seen Norwich get relegated. Terry, you've probably seen Norwich get relegated quite a load of times. Um, only um, more than you. Um, so I, I started going in 1990. So I was there for the, the start of the Premier League and I was there for the first relegation from the Premier League in 95. Um, and then obviously we just didn't do anything for ages. Um, until we went back up again. So um, I've been I've been there for all five of Norwich's relegations from the Premier League. Well, okay, yeah, I forgot about that long period where we didn't do anything. So yeah, you, that's probably not that much more than me then. But um, the thing about it is that the media and I was listening to I love listening to the football on the radio and um, they were talking about Norwich getting relegated on Five Live and they were talking about it as though it was some sort of catastrophe as a there's no there's no way back for Norwich. Oh, it's a complete disaster. And, and and I remember Martin Keown was mentioning um, on the game that we played before we played uh, Man United in the Cup. He didn't understand why we were playing B team. It wasn't really a B team, kind of A and a half team, I guess, when there was Premier League survival at stake. And I remember thinking, well, we're basically probably going to go down anyway. So, and this is a once in a generation cup game. So quite frankly, I would actually wonder why it was the other way around if that was the case. So for me, I um, don't like to kind of be one of these supporters who says, well, it's better off in the championship, because I think if you start going down that line of thought, then you start kind of going down the line of thought, as we were discussing earlier, that football is kind of pointless. Um, so I think it's quite something that's going to be, you've got to be quite careful about. It's like, well, why am I bothering coming to this place every couple of weeks um, if we're going to go up to a shite league that's going to be horrendous for an entire season and basically be very painful only to get relegated again? So very careful about thinking that way. However, God, the, being back in the championship would be like taking off a pair of tight shoes, won't it? It really will be. I'm I'm so looking forward to playing Brentford on, on a Tuesday night. Oh. Like, and knowing, rather, I, I thought about this when we were playing the other day and I was thinking it would be nice being in the league again, knowing that actually we might be able to score a goal in the next five minutes <laughs> rather than knowing that we're going to pass the ball around 20 times, get to the penalty area, lose it, the other team counter-attack and nearly score. It'd actually be quite nice to be able to know that yeah, we might actually score a goal. Norwich are, Norwich are getting relegated. We've done it before. <sighs> Doesn't bother me. Well, going to the championship is, and I'm going to say this as someone who has never given birth, so, you know, I know my mum will be listening. Sorry, mum, it's probably not like this. But it's like giving birth in that you forget the pain after birth. So when you're in the heat of the moment and you're going up from the championship into the Premier League and you're there and you have all the pain of, you know, losing away to some shit team who on paper you should absolutely beat on a Tuesday night and you've just made a horrible leg down and then you arrive back in the championship and you think oh that was really fun I'm going to do it all over again because you get almost this fog about how terrible the Premier League was and so you aim to be right at the top and go up again because your mind has almost refused to let you acknowledge the fact that maybe winning the championship isn't the best thing that could ever happen to you I mean, I was reading a discussion the other day that it would be great if we could win the title and then stay in the championship to defend our title. Yeah, I mean, that was what I was going to say. What's What's great about the championship is the fact that you have the chance of going to the Premier League and you have the, you know, the, the promotion and the playoffs and that makes the league exciting. So you have this amazing, like last season, this amazing season, all those amazing wins and late goals and it was just this amazing game. And then you win and you think, well, that's great because we're going to get promoted and we're going to get all this money. And we're going to be in the Premier League. And then you get in the Premier League and it's rubbish. But if you didn't have the promise of the Premier League, then the championship wouldn't be exciting. Something that um, uh, I found quite difficult to I found quite difficult about this season is that I always knew that the Premier League was a cesspit for, you know, basically just buying buying your wins right and I genuinely thought at the start of this season because Norwich had done it a different way 
I thought, because we did so well last season, I thought, we've actually found a second way of doing it. And we're going to do well next season. Everyone's going to say, look, Norwich barely spent any money. and Look what they've done. But it hasn't worked like that at all. And that's really, really made me sad because, quite frankly, you can't survive in the Premier League unless you can buy five £20 million players, hope that two of them come off and somehow scrape survival. I got uh, a load of tweets from Watford fans during the week when I mentioned their £30 million player. What was quite funny about that is they didn't realise the point I was making. No, I wasn't didn't. saying that the player wasn't worth £30 million. What I was saying was... I was, all, I was saying, you know, there's loads of Norwich fans here that are shitting the bed about the fact we haven't spent any money. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. You, there's a team that's only four places above us. I've spent £30 million of somebody else's debt on a player who was a brilliant player, by the way, and I'm sure they'll probably make a profit on as well. But the fact that they were able to do that as a team that's sitting 17th in the Premier League just means that the whole system is so imbalanced. Is it really worth it? It's just... Yeah, it's made me very, very sad this season because I really thought we may have found a second way there and we haven't. It just goes to show that the the league is so imbalanced. Um, there's no one, it's not going to change because people are making so much money out of it. Uh, we're never going to get a system like they have in the US where in the NFL we have a draft that kind of balances things out. I mean, the NFL is incredibly competitive in terms of the teams that can win it because of that draft. I mean, you'd think it's the richest league in the world. You'd think that all the top teams in the NFL would have all of the talent and they would win all the time. Not the case. I strongly also believe that the Premier League would be a far better competitive league if it still had 22 teams because the level of kind of mediocre teams that you get down towards the bottom would be increased, which would would lower the jeopardy that comes with teams not wanting to get relegated. So I think that the, the when they dropped it from 22 to 20 teams, that was a huge error because it basically meant that those 20 teams then shut up shop completely and it became kind of like a promised land that's going to solve all your financial woes. So that that you know that's not going to happen again. There's no way that the teams are going to open up the more slices of the pie to to other teams. It's not going to just not you know. There's no way that's going to go back to 22. Not Norwich are never going to get to the top six. Um, at least I don't think they would in my lifetime. You see uh, teams like Southampton who just scrape survival again, and everyone's going on about how what an amazing job that they've done. The same with Burnley actually. What an amazing job Sean Dyche has done. Look at how well Burnley are doing. Is it really that great for Burnley fans to be sitting at the bottom half of the Premier League every season and just not going anywhere? I don't know. But again, as I said before, going down that line of thinking is a little bit dangerous because, of course, you start then questioning what the point of football is. And really, when you strip it all back, there is no point. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's quite an interesting point. But we have to remember there are some teams, there are lots of people who support teams that aren't anywhere near the Premier League and have no chance of going anywhere near the Premier League. There are people who support teams that have been in League One and League Two for decades and they still go every week and they still care and they still enjoy it. I think there is... I think there's a it's a bit of a modern narrative that you know unless you're in the top fly unless you're competing with the big teams that football, there's no point to football but that isn't what football's about it's never been what football's about football is about going down and supporting your local team it's about attending matches it's about that whole camaraderie I mean I've just finished a book called The Bromley Boys which is about supporting the worst team in the country who's at the bottom of the of the lowest league and they they they're bottom of the table and they like got 10 points all season or something ridiculous and it's a talking about how that fan's experience of that season. And, you know, that you know fans at that level get as much out of it as fans do at the Premier League. In fact, they probably get more because they feel closer links to the, the club. They feel more involved with it. So I think if you're, if the reason you like football is just to compete at the top level, that's fine. You're entitled to do that. But for lots of people who actually go to games, that is not what football's about. I think the tricky thing is, though, is that, of course, when you watch your team, you want them to win, right? Oh, everybody does. Every, all, so, all, so, all the fans of all 92 clubs want their team to win. Unfortunately, most of them won't. Um, I, when uh, The fact that, you obviously, the part of the joy of football is watching your team win. And the trouble is, is if you get to a point where your team has won so many games and they get promoted as champions, which we did last year, and then your reward is an absolute sack of shit of the season. <laughs> it kind of, it, it's very tricky to then kind of, you know, try to figure out what you're trying to, what you're doing there. Um, and I think that the fact that the Premier League has not, adjust, has not 
looked at balancing itself more um, has caused has caused this issue. I mean, I'm obviously speaking at it, about it from the perspective of a Norwich fan, and Norwich have been in the Premier League a number of times over the last 10 years. I guess if I talk to a Leeds United fan, it would be a lot more different because they've gone through 20 years or 15 years of just being nowhere and, and now finally looks like they're going to have their, their time. So, you know, my perspective is obviously going to be quite warped by how uh, Norwich are doing, but, you know, it, it's been a... It's been a bit of a rough. It's been a rough season, basically, in my opinion. In, in my brain, in my brain, when it comes to what I do, what I think about football, it's been it's been a rough season. I think it has been. I think um, interesting you saying about you thought Norwich had, had sort of come across another way to, to do the Premier League. I think at the start of the season, it looked like we had, and then we had that ridiculous injury list where basically half the squad was wiped out. And we never recovered from that. And I think that's the trouble. If you've got a smaller squad, you can't afford to have the injuries. If you don't have the experience, you're going to rely a lot more on confidence and momentum. And at the start of the season, we had that. And then soon as that went away, as soon as that squad was depleted, as soon as the confidence went and then the experience started to show, that's when it all unraveled. So unfortunately, you know, sometimes it's a bit of bad luck that happens that affects you. I think we need to move and start talking about something positive. We spent half an hour, you know, talking about how football means nothing and we're getting relegated and it's all depressing and horrible. Let's talk about who's been our best player of the season. For me, Tim Krull. I feel like he's been a linchpin at the back. He has really stepped up in a way that most people didn't think he would would do. You had, you know, the introduction of Ralph Fairman at the very beginning of the season and everyone went, oh, fantastic. You know, Tim Krull's out the window. Bye-bye, mate. You know, fuck off back to Newcastle or whatever. But then, where's Ralph Fairman now? He's not around. It's Tim Krull who saved those penalties against Manchester United. It's Tim Krull who had the double saves. And it's Tim Krull who was awesome in the penalty shootout against Spurs. So, yeah, for me, Tim Krull. Well, who cares who the player of the season is? It's all pointless. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, my player of the season is a completely left field choice, right? And it's Grant Hanley. And I'll tell you why it's Grant Hanley. I love a footballer who knows that he's not the best player. And yet he, he puts everything in that he can possibly put in to try and be as best as he can. Grant Hanley is not going to be the player of the season. Player season probably going to be Tim Krul, was certainly going to be Tim Krul. But for me, I, I just love seeing a footballer who, who just he he doesn't even fit in with Norris's system, right? He doesn't really fit in with football, right? Yet there he is, centre back, captain, had a massive fuck up at the start of the season, in the first game could have ruined him. Didn't he's like well you know these things happen let's just let's just crack on and I um, I think our back four was a lot better with Hanley in it I'm certainly better with Hanley in it than compared to closer at the moment if you're looking at result by result so um, and I, I the other thing about Hanley of course is he's a brilliant squad man ringing around um, uh, older season ticket holders when the COVID crisis started checking in on people um, and then when he thought people needed another callback. He actually did that off his own back. The club didn't instruct him to do that, but if he, he he actually said that, you know, I was talking to some people who I, who I thought probably needed another call and I wanted to check out if they were okay, you know. Not every footballer is like that. As much as we like to think that people are going to do that for us, not actually the case. Not every footballer is like that, but um, Hanley is. And I like having that kind of player as my captain. I think, yeah, I think it's no, it's, it's the fact that Hanley stayed um, when Farker took over. I'm not surprised about that at all because I think he's got the right mentality, and you know that 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 Farker and Weber they like players who've got the right timing, wasn't he? He came in Sorry? right. Hanley came in right at the end of Farker's first transfer window when it looked like we were having a problem and we had. So he's, he's a Farker. He's a Farker player then. Yeah, because we lost four 0 against Millwall and then we brought Grant Hanley in. God, I don't remember any of that. My memory's awful. Like I said... Oh, yeah. Was that Millwall that Mil- game was on telly, wasn't it? I don't know. Was it on TV? I didn't watch it, if it was. I was... Yeah, that, I, I do remember that game, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, maybe he is a fart player. Disregard everything I just <laughs> said. Um, with a very young back four, and perhaps this is just a bit of a cliche, but with a very young back four, and particularly with Godfrey next to him, I think it's good to have a player 
who's not scared to, to just say to them, get fucking rid when they instead want to try a trick and kind of play out from the back in situations when that's necessary. I think Hanley is that player. Zinnemann is that player sort of half there. And then I don't think really closer does that at all. So I, I personally like to have a player like that in, in a team that's otherwise trying to be very creative and very um, fancy with playing out from the back. It is good just to have somebody there occasionally and those moments are desperately needed to just say, just get rid of the fucking ball. Last season, obviously, when uh, Hanley was injured for most of it, he still was there. He was still around with the squad. He still travelled with the team. He was very much part of the setup, even when he's not playing. And I think, you know, that role that he has as club captain, he takes very seriously. So I think he, ha- even when he's not on the pitch, I think he has a, a positive impact on the players and the squad. Player of the season, yeah, I thought I thought it was uh, it was an easy choice for me. I thought, yeah, it's going to be uh, Mr. Crawl for all the reasons that Maddie said. And then somebody, a friend of ours, chucks in the old um, Alex Tetty uh, as an option, um, particularly I think since uh, lockdown, since football has come back. I think Tetty has shown once again what an immense player he is. And I always think with Tetty, and I've been a fan of his for a long time, I think he's one of those players that you only really notice when he's not there. When he's not there protecting the back four, then suddenly we become, we're conceding more goals. Suddenly the defence seems a lot weaker. And he's one of those players that he thought, that we thought we weren't going to get another year out of. We thought, you know, his time is done. If we get promoted, he won't get in the team. And yet, actually, he's proved to be such a vital member of the squad. And there have been many games that I can think of, particularly earlier in the season, when he, you could see him picking the ball up from defence and just spreading it out across the pitch to, to get the attack going. And he's just been such a reliable, consistent performer that I think I think I might be voting for him. I've not actually decided yet. That's all Rich's fault, then. He's putting ideas into your mind. Now, it's weird with Teddy because he's very much... Obviously, he wasn't Farker's player. He long predates Farker. And when Farker first came in and brought in the double training sessions, you had all those things about experienced pros saying, we don't want to do this, we don't want to do that, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, naming no names, of course. But Alex Tetty wasn't one of those, and he would have been perhaps one who would have reason to complain because it was just this common fact that, oh, Alex Tetty can't play two lots of 90 minutes in one week. He can't do it. His knees don't work. And then suddenly Farker came in and it took a while, but he's playing 90 minutes on a Saturday. He's playing 90 minutes on a Tuesday. He's playing 90 minutes on a Saturday again. Imagine telling yourself when Farker signed that not only would we be in the Premier League with Tetty often captaining the squad, but he'll be playing that often. A lot of people thought he'd leave when Wes left, but he's still here and he's still going. And people forget just how much of an achievement that is and how far he's come in the last few years. And hearing him talk as well, he's very passionate about the club and he's talking about, you know, he's just going to try every last effort to give give everything he can for the team. He's that kind of loyal person that you want in your side. He has a nice smile. He's a lovely smile. I love his smile. So this is, uh, as we say, another Norwich relegation. I was just wondering if you guys had any funny memories of any past relegations because it was a good um, <laughs> discussion um, started on Twitter by a friend of ACN, Ben Stokes, about <laughs> what was the most Norwich relegation that kind of happened in the last 20 years. So there, there was, uh, or last 30 years from the Premier League. So I think uh, the relegation in 2005 won out simply because, you know, we went to Fulham on the final day knowing it was in our hands and lost 6-0, which is just such a Norwich thing to do. So a long time. But the question genuinely stumped me because I was thinking, I, I just, um, I think every single time we got every single one of these relegations from since the Premier League started, we kind of duffed up because obviously the, the one in the 90s that you remember so well, Terry, was... You know, we started that season off so well and, and we went on a run where we didn't win like 22 games or something crazy like that. Yeah, so to put it into context, the year before we'd knocked Bayern Munich out of Europe and the year before that we'd finished third. So it was a little bit out of nowhere that we suddenly had this awful season. One of the key factors was that Brian Gunn, a talismanic goalkeeper, got injured, got stretched off the pitch in January. And somehow that just seemed to do something to the team. I don't think we, we barely won a game again after that. And it is one of those sort of things where you just suddenly see a team spiral, 
where suddenly they, their confidence just goes. Um, you know, they've been managed. The manager had left. Players had left, and then suddenly we were just spiraling downwards and just couldn't win for love nor money. So we went from quite a safe mid-table position to being relegated. It was my first relegation. Um, it was an away game we got relegated, so I wasn't there. Um, and I and it did affect me. It, you know, it was the first time as a Norwich supporter, I you know, a team had been relegated to the second division, and it was yeah, it hurt. And I have to say, with every relegation, it just hurts a little less. It's one of those things that the more you, you've been through something, the more you experience it, um, the less painful it is. Though having said all of that, I was at Fulham for that last game of the season where we were like, we just have to win or we just have to do better than the other teams and we're, we're staying up and then we just get absolutely annihilated. Is this your um, first relegation experience, Maddie? Yeah. Or, or were you a supporter last time you went down? My first proper one. I remember the last one happening. Sort of, you know, I hadn't really been to a game then. So I remember the last one happening and I remember hearing all the stories about us singing Ipswich Town, we're coming for you. But yeah, this is my first one where I've, you know, probably been a fan and had a season ticket and everything. And so it's just weird because everyone always says your first relegation stays with you, but this doesn't even feel like a relegation for so many reasons. I think for one, I was almost preparing myself to be immune for it because we almost knew it was coming right from the beginning. As soon as we had that injury list and as soon as we played Man City and all of our luck run out, it was almost as if we'd accepted relegation from October. You know, I was I was happy to go down in the knowledge that staying up would be a pleasant surprise. And at the same time, how can you accept something if you're not seeing it happen before your own eyes? You know, that's one of the five stages of grief. You can't accept it if you haven't seen it. And I'm not there in the stadium watching Norwich get relegated. I'm sat on my sofa watching them do it on the telly. So it's almost I'm almost distanced from it. You see, I, I think I think the opposite to that. I, I think it's much better being relegated when you're there. And I don't like being relegated in this situation when you're not. I was at that game where where you mentioned about the British town we're coming from. I think, I'm not 100% certain, but I think that was against Watford. And there was a great comfort being at that game because that's actually the first. We didn't actually officially go down that game. But we, it was basically confirmed after it. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced that in a stadium. And it was a there was an odd comfort to it because living where I do, I live in Suffolk, um, being with friends, i.e. being around Norris supporters, whenever anything bad happens to us, has always been a great comfort anyway. Um, so, yeah, I actually it's, it's interesting you say that because I kind of feel the opposite. Getting relegated um, on telly is, is really not very nice at all. But that Fulham game... I was watching that on TV and I remember the sky cameras flicking to the Hawthorns because West Brom stayed up. And I remember them seeing them all celebrating and I was only 13 uh, and I felt really sick to the stomach. But so, yeah, that was that was not nice to see that on TV at all. No, there is. It's almost, you know, it feels voyeuristic from other fans' point of views. You you don't want other people to witness your own pain and suffering. And I'm terrible when it comes to people talking about Norwich. I, I can't handle people slagging off Norwich at all. You know, if our own fans get arsy on Twitter, it just rubs me up the wrong way. So you hear these pundits, and they're already chatting shit because they know absolutely nothing and haven't done their research on us. You know, I think they called Hernandez Fernandez the other day, but, you know, whatever. But then seeing them see describe all the reasons why we've gone wrong where we could have stayed up what Daniel Farker could have done better oh maybe they would have stayed up if they just didn't stick to their philosophy and they just booted it out every once in a while I hate it so I, I still think it's worse to do it in the stadium but I hate being almost like nationally an embarrassment knowing that all these hundreds of thousands of people who wouldn't normally see us are watching us and we're doing that shit but do you guys have any experiences of any kind of classic Norfolk Gallows humour when it comes to Norwich playing shit or just going down or or something like that? I can't. I mean, I can't think of anything in particular. I mean, that that um, when we got relegated to League One, I do remember that that just seems to be a long time coming. You kind of knew it was on the cards for a while, and I remember I always because my mum, so my mum used to come on her own to to the games 
from the Midlands. And we'd always plan something nice after the game because we knew it was going to be a horrible experience. So we would always go to the bar and then we'd go out for a meal and we'd do something because we kind of felt like we had to go to the football because you do, you have to go. But you know it's going to be awful. You know you're going to lose. And you had to plan something else to make up for it in the weekend. So I remember that, and it was like that for several months. It was a horrible, slow slide. And sometimes that's worse than going down on the last day of the season. Because at least if you're going down the last day of the season, you've got hope right up until that last day. And yes, that hope is quite cruelly crushed on that last day. But at least, you know, you just have that one day where it's all doom and gloom. That year we went down to League One. I think there were several, like you say, weeks, if not months, of really quite depressing experiences at the football. Um, when we um, went down, well, we, well, I was going to say we went down under Hewton, but obviously he actually left before we went down. But the games were really dull. I mean, do you remember there was lots of, there were games on the back row of the Barclay where I sit. Well, we weren't even watching the match. We were basically having conversations about other things to try and distract ourselves from the fact that football was going on at all. Um, I don't really remember anything, any specific gallows humour, though. I, 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 there's something quite, funny about when you're getting hammered at home and 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 they, they, you, you kind of go two nil down or three nil down and if, if you scored particularly bad goals people get annoyed and that's not very nice but if you start going four or five or even six nil down it actually becomes like a bit of a joke because everyone's like well actually you know this <laughs> people are just trying to amuse themselves and you know you get you get very funny shouts um from the stands and stuff and of course getting thrashed as part of being a football fan well unless you support lucky enough to support a good team getting thrashed um you know six or seven nil as I have experienced, um, the 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 way that the crowd react to going down that heavily is is quite funny. Um, to be honest, I think the heaviest defeat I've ever been part of was the five one against Villa, and I remember we scored we scored our one goal, and the goal music came on. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly that is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. That is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The f- <laughs> I love the fact that we played the goal music. At the time, I didn't realise. At the time, I didn't realise because we were we were me the people I was near. We were just laughing at laughing so much about the situation. I didn't actually realise that they played the goal music until I saw on Twitter, and I was like, actually, they didn't play the goal music, did they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that everyone was sarcastically celebrating the goal because I think we expected so fucking little of us by the 80th minute. Or I think Ono Hernandez scored and we just been battered by Man United and he scored right at the end and he did his somersault in front of the Man United fans and started shushing them. Like, Ono, oh Ono, oh now's not Yeah, that was quite funny. You know, yeah, that was, not that was quite funny. That's not the one. Bless him. The thing is, I mean, I've said this story before, but when the year we finished third in the Premier League, we got hammered a couple of times. And one of the times we got hammered was away at Blackburn when we lost 7-1. Yeah, um, infamous, infamous game that basically cost us the title. It was, but it was a crazy season that we weren't upset about it. In fact, we were doing a conga on the terrace, treating it like a party because it was just this mad season. Because there were other games, we beat Wimbledon 4-0. So there were other games that we were hammering people and then we were getting hammered. It was just mental. Um, so... That wasn't the worst game. The absolute worst game was at Portman Road when we got thrashed. And I was at that one. And I don't think there was gallows humour there. Everybody was just really depressed. I wasn't very old when that game happened, but obviously I live in Suffolk and I grew up in Suffolk. So that that day is not a good one in my memory. I, I can remember I can remember going to school the Monday after um and that wasn't very nice and I can I think I can remember my dad had my dad used to work shifts and he hadn't he didn't know what the score was and he watched the highlights on Anglia TV not knowing what the the score was and um yeah that uh and I remember him not being particularly happy when he saw what was what was going on so 
Yeah, that is a rather infamous day in Norwich City's history. The police wouldn't let us leave. I think they were worried that the Norwich fans were going to go and trash the town. So loads of us wanted to leave the match because it was so one-sided and it was so horrific. We didn't want to stay and watch. But they wouldn't let us leave the ground. They made us stay right until the end and then kept us back. And it was just like a form of torture. So to finish this off, let's talk about a little bit more of a cheerful subject because it's been a bit of a depressing and dark podcast for our standards. Uh, I mean, it has been a pretty depressing and dark season, but, you know, I think quite an interesting and funny subject. I think I mentioned before on this podcast the uh, the fact that my, my nan, bless her, not really into football at all, she'll, she always gets her Norwich mug out whenever Norwich are playing and has a cup of tea out of it while listening to Chris Gorham on Radio Norfolk, uh, basically hoping that they, you know, hoping that the mug will, Will win and um, she'll text me when she gets the mug out and if she forgets to get out she's very apologetic and she knows that that's the reason why Norwich have lost the game at one point the, the mug actually broke the handle broke off there was a bit of a panic and um, um, she had to find some super glue to stick the stick the handle back on um, <laughs> and thankfully it has set okay do you guys have any other like superstitious things that um that you sort of do, even like even if you're not that much of a superstitious person, but you know that a defeat or a goal is definitely your fault because you didn't do like something one one of your rituals, right? Well, I'm I'm not a superstitious person per se, but obviously I do have obsessive compulsive disorder, which is basically superstitions for people who are insane. And so when I was watching the football at home with Dad the other day, he noticed that I always wrap something around my face when we're just defending a set piece in a dangerous area. And I do that at the football myself. You know, if we if we're defending a penalty, I'll always wrap the scarf around my head. And I remember when we had the Aubameyang penalty against Arsenal earlier. Tim Krul saved the first one because I had my scarf wrapped around my head, and then I didn't have it wrapped around my head for the second one, the retake, because I thought, well, he's already saved it once, and then obviously he didn't. But the one that was very clearly my fault, the the result was the Derby 4-3 defeat, the one with the floodlights. And I went against all my pre-match rituals then. I don't know what I was thinking, but I got off the bus at the wrong stop. I went to the cash point at Morrison's, which I never, ever do. I then bought a golden goal. I've never bought a golden goal before that, and I've never bought a golden goal after that. And most importantly of all, I didn't wear my lucky socks. And these were, you know... My family used to take the absolute piss out of me about these socks because we got to about halfway through the season and they'd fallen apart. So Lucky socks are such, such a football support cliche. <laughs> lucky socks and lucky <laughs> underwear, right? The whole sole of the sock on both feet are broken because I have really weird legs. I don't walk properly. So they'd absolutely died a death. So I was having to wear socks underneath those socks and on top of those socks in order to ensure that I could still wear those socks. And I had to wear them... From the very, you know, from the moment I got up, I couldn't just put them on to go to a match. So if I was at school before going to the match, I would have to wear them to school. And all my friends would say, what the fuck are you doing? As I walk in, you know, wearing three pairs of socks. But yeah, so Derby, I didn't do any of my pre-match rituals. And it was only when Pookie scored and we then had the floodlight failure. And I'm stood there thinking, I've dropped a bollock on this one. And yeah, we lost. And it was because I absolutely went mental and abandoned all those pre-match rituals, didn't wear my socks, went to the cash point, bought a golden goal. After that, the socks went on for every single fucking match, apart from Preston. Make of it what you will. And I never bought a golden goal again. I don't really. I mean, I have a lucky turnstile, which is absolutely (laughs) ridiculous because I've been going to games for 30 years. God, 30 years. I've been going for 30 years and, you know, Norwich have had good seasons and bad seasons. And every one of those seasons, I've gone through the same turnstile, which kind of implies that the turnstile is not relevant. But it is my lucky turnstile and I have to go through it. And there are very few occasions where I haven't gone through it. And there was one game, it was a Friday night game against Birmingham City a few years ago. And I was running late and I was coming from the other other direction. And I'm like, oh, I haven't got time to go to my lucky turnstile. I'll just go in the first turnstile that I got to. We lost 1-0. So therefore, it is a lucky turnstile. Even though not the time that I go through it, we don't win. If I don't go through it, we definitely don't exactly. win. Well, you so, have you ever considered the fact that it might be an unlucky turnstile and all of the suffering that we as Norwich fans have had over the last 30 years is as a result of you going through this turnstile? It's not a lucky turnstile like that. I went, through the, I went through a different turnstile and we lost. You know, come on, it's just common sense, isn't it? So obviously that means that I have to go through the same turnstile. We have the same lucky turnstile, but because obviously we get there to do the flags early, we get there before the gates open. 
So we then have to go back out of the ground and then come back in through the turnstile with our season tickets. But recently a steward taught me that I don't actually have to leave. I can just scan my season ticket and not go through a turnstile. So I've not been through my lucky turnstile since I think October maybe. And I'm not saying... Oh, it's all your fault then. It's your fault. It's, it's your fault. Yeah. I've still been going through the turnstile. I've still been going out of the ground and then back in through my oh, turnstile. No. I just walk down to the disabled entrance, go beep, thank you, and then I'm on my merry way off to the bar. And we're bottom of the table because of you. Yeah, I think so. But I have been having <laughs> my Coke Zero. So, you know, I always have my pre-match Coke Zero, even if I'm at home, but that's not doing anything, is it? I don't particularly have any um, superstitions at all, to be honest, when it comes to a match day, to be honest, because I have to take the train, knowing what greater anger are like. I tend to just hope that I get there um, at some point before kickoff. Um, but I do have to wear a scarf for the football. I think wearing a scarf for the football is should be should be the law, should be in the Magna Carta somewhere. Some one at one time I did forget my scarf once I walked all the way to the railway station in Stonemark, which is a good. Uh, 30 minutes away from my house and I had to walk all the way home again to get it and then walk all the way back to the train station and missed the, the train that I needed to get so I had to get a later one uh, but other than that I don't actually really have um, that many superstitions with regards to with regards to actually going to the game but um, I, I, it's funny you, you mentioned golden goals there Maddie because I very rarely buy a golden goal but every time I have bought one we've lost the last one I bought was the Aston Villa game and I actually was four seconds away from a prize on one of the on one of the Villa goals. Oh. So yeah, I don't think I'll be going buying a golden goal again. They're cursed. Well, the salesman who sold me mine was very nice. You know, he was all enjoy the game. He's very personable, but he absolutely cursed us, and we could have gotten more points if he didn't. You know will me into buying that golden goal i was just so excited because i was 18 and i'd never been able to buy a golden goal before and i was thinking i'm all on my own i'm gonna gamble it just it teaches you kids don't gamble it loses <laughs> when i was a kid i always used to do this thing where i would stare at the scoreboard whenever um uh the other team were on the attack because i knew that if i wasn't watching them they wouldn't score now Bear in mind, this was the late 90s when we were really bad, so it didn't happen very often, actually, the way I planned it. I always used to stare at the scoreboard, and sometimes I used to like think in my brain that actually the little zero next to Norwich would turn into a one, and if I kept thinking <laughs> that's going to happen, then we would score and it would. Oh, I, I, used to, I used to do that on TV as well. Um, when I was watching particularly England at the World Cup, I used to think, yeah, if I if I keep thinking that that year is going to turn into a one, then then um, then England will score. But it's funny how um, when you're when you're a kid that you kind of um, you think that sort of things is going to happen. I always used to pretend, or used to pretend in my mind's eye, that uh, how Norwich were going to score the goal from that particular part of where the ball was on the pitch. So for what's going to happen, even though that winger is on, the, you know, on the attack, he's going to pass the ball to our centre back by accident, and then they're going to punt it forward, and then someone's going to score on the volley. And it's absolutely in my mind's eye, not exactly how we were going to score from that moment. It never happened, but um, well, actually, funny enough, it, it does happen. And the only time it does happen is if he scored free kick, because when um, uh, Mario scored that free kick last year, um, I think everybody does that. You think this is how it's going to, this is how going to go in the net, and this is how I'm going to celebrate. And I, and when it actually happens, is amazing, right? So um, it does, it does happen on the very rare occasion that we score a set piece. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what how how weird I was as a kid when I went to the football. There was a there was a period I remember because obviously we never scored from corners. So whenever we would get a corner on the back row we turn to each other and say we never score from a corner we never score from, like hoping to jinx it in the opposite direction to obviously jinx us to score a corner it didn't work very often yeah the opposition will always score from their corners right so so you kind of I was always used to thinking my mind's eye I still I still kind of do it actually I kind of think of how my mind's eye that how the opposition is going to hit the first man it's not going to go anywhere I think you're not um, out of mind's eye you're just bragging at this point you know, you're out there talking about, I can imagine goals in my mind's eye. Lucky you, I can't even imagine a fucking apple if I close my eyes. Well, you don't have a mind's eye. No, I'm sure we've talked no. about it before that I don't have a mind's eye. Yeah, 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 I think you, you think you have. So when I say the when when I say think of an apple, what do you 
how, how, how do you know that it's like green and it's round and it's... I don't know. I think because obviously I was born without one, so I've never had one. I don't know what people with mine's eyes think, mine's eyes thinks. And well, I only found out a few weeks. I only found out a few weeks ago that um, not everybody has their own internal monologue. Yeah, that's that's mental, isn't it? You know, that's yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, yeah. how do you? <laughs> and uh, bringing that back conversation back around to football yeah. again, as a kid, and I also kind of do it now. Is I always used to commentate on the game, and I think we've, we've all kind of done that at some point, right? Um, commentating on the game as to what's going to happen, but I also would commentate on what might happen. So if Again, I have in my mind's eye how Norwich are going to score. I'm going to think what the commentator is going to say in his, you know, oh, wow, you know, um, Ewan Roberts has punted it forward and what a shot by Bellamy right in the corner. Um, and, that, you know, that's how we would score our goal. Again, never happened, but, um, wow. but you know, in my, my mind it does. And really is that that's all that matters, right? I'm so caught up in the game. I'm so caught up in the emotion of the game and the I'm, I don't have any of that kind of, like outside stuff going on. I mean, I've got the the thing where you're willing something to happen. You're like, come on, Norwich, do it, do it. I believe, but I don't have the the mental capacity. I'm so emotionally involved. The mental capacity to then start imagining a whole another reality where Norwich are winning a game. Yeah, that's I'm still in that moment. I've never ha- I've never watched such a shit game that you, your mind has just wandered off on something else. I've written articles in matches before that were so terrible. I've actually written a match report before the ninety minutes have finished. Well, it's like right. I said earlier that we had those sort of nil nil games that went on forever under Chris Hewton. We just basically just turn around and start chatting to him with my mates, and we'd start talking about other games. We'd start talking about other things going on in our lives, and then every now and again we just check the pitch to see if anything's happened. No, no, okay, let's go back to our conversation. Well, that's the difference between me and you. So I don't talk to the people around me. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had the same thing for what I don't know how we looked it up, didn't we? Like fifteen years or something. I've maybe longer. I've been in the same seat, and all most of the people around me have been the same as well. So over a period of time, we've just got to know each other. So, so just one last topic then. I think I probably said that on the last topic, but you know, this is the actual final topic. What are your hopes for next season? Where football will end in terms of the Premier League, basically, because I, I haven't given an official date yet, but it's pro- the Championship's probably going to start mid-September, I would have thought. So there's barely going to be any break. Best thing probably for Farker to do right now is to try and arrest all of the players to, to give them a head start next season. So, um, you know, we're, we're basically going to be starting again. Not sure whether or not we're going to be in stadiums yet. So so what, what do you guys think about in terms of, you know, how... how next season will go and and um you know how we can get things to being on the uplift again being a bit more positive again around the club my only hope is to be in the stadium yeah i was gonna that's what i was gonna say i think it's really difficult to to really imagine anything until it's football is back to normal i mean you can't even picture it can you you know football if we're not there it's weird. It's weird enough the season finishing. We kind of felt, well, it had to finish, so it has to be behind closed doors because we've got to fulfil these fixtures. But the idea of starting a season that same way behind closed doors without fans, it doesn't really feel like. I mean, you remember the, you remember what it's like the first day of the season. You go along, the sun is shining, everybody's full of optimism. The flag the crowd, every, every team is at a point can get promoted. It's like it's a great feeling, and the whole of the, everybody's there in the stadium. The idea that you're going to kick the whole of the season off in an empty ground is quite depressing. The um, uh, I had an odd experience uh, yesterday where I went into. Uh, I went into the town. I the town. I went to the supermarket, and it was the market day in the town. It was very busy, and I actually it was so busy. I actually got quite anxious, which I didn't expect to happen. Actually, I didn't think that was going to happen to me, but it did. So I can't picture at the minute going back to football in a big crowd for a very long time. But I did think that the the thing about bringing crowds back on a kind of staggered thing, so, you know, you, you start off with 5,000 and go up, is that that's actually probably safer if you could distance people from seats than, um, uh, you know, people going to town centres to go shopping or whatever. So, um, because, you know, at least you know that people will actually stick to where they can be. So um, it's an interesting one. Who knows what's going to happen? Nobody really. 
might get a second wave it might all be cancelled again and we'll have to go through all this all over again my hope is that it kind of will be a staggered a staggered kind of time where we can go back as a crowd and it will start off small and get a little bit bigger and Norwich will win the league um, by 20 points and get 110 points and go undefeated um, and then um, the Premier League implodes so we don't have to go up we don't ask <laughs> yeah between the three of us we ask for very little mm, yeah yeah, I think we're realistic. I think I mean, I'm just—it's like we said earlier. I'm just looking forward to having games where you can score loads of goals and you got a chance to win, and and just that that you know that fun side of football. I'm quite looking forward to that coming back, and you know, be able to play that style of football that we love and and still get results rather than play really pretty and then concede a late goal and everybody goes going on. for a pint before the game. That's going to be quite nice. What I basically like is last season. All over again, but we're not. Oh, so, like, how about we're yeah, really good from August on, and it's just fucking awesome. And then we're all in the ground, and everyone's there, and we have all of our flag pre-match rituals. You know, we're arriving two hours before kickoff, and we're doing all of this. That's my ideal. It's exactly the same as last season, but you replace the first half of the season with a better half. That's all I want. There's not too much to ask, and I'm sure Daniel listens to this and takes it on board. So, come on, Daniel. <laughs> As your official biggest fan, I really think that's a reasonable request. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to the Flag Squad Pod Episode 3 podcast. Um, we covered a variety of topics there, some of them dark, some of them not so dark, some of them quite cheerful, some of them quite depressing. But um, I, hope we, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope we can see you again soon. And cut.